Hello. Hello there. Hello there. Mmm. Mm. Do you know what we're in for today? I think so. Uh, I see you're sneaking enough stuff in here at the last minute, like you do. Um, John, what's going on this week? How's this week different from other weeks? Hmm. This week is one of the weeks where we have extra stuff after the show for members only. Um, Bonus. That's right. Uh, For our main show, ostensibly, depending on how this goes, we are going to continue slash finish our discussion of college. Yeah, we're going to continue. It's college adjacent. It's college Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about, I believe we're going to talk about uh, standardized testing. Yeah, and then I'll just talk more about random college stuff that I've done with my son. And then for the members only after show in this episode, (laughs) (laughs) this, this might not seem like it's connected, and it's not. Well, it's connected huh. to the to the MPU, obviously. It's a part of the uh, Merliniverse. I think it's more of your universe than mine. No, because I was inspired to put this in here when I heard you talking about it on one of your other podcasts. I was probably due by Friday. I was recently catching up on due by Friday. I think okay. I caught up now, or maybe I'm behind by one show. I thought anyway. you claimed Marco in, in your universe. I'll, I'll take Tiff. I'll take Tiff. You take Marco. <laughs> Well, I think you were talking about it on Dubai Friday because you had heard the top four episode where they discussed top four pasta shapes. But yep. anyway, we're going to talk about pasta shapes in the after show and wherever that leads us. Maybe it will just lead us to to just ridicule Marco and Tiff the entire time. No. Or maybe it will lead us into more enlightened no, intellectual paths. I've prepared so, a little bit for that. Um, <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I have a feeling it'll be, uh, you know what this is going to be? This is going to be a Dr. Heavy episode. I could tell. Last week was a companion a Dr. Well, Light companion heavy episode. And I think this week, if I have any luck, uh, we won't have time for follow-up and you will be uh, running it for, for the whole episode. Mm, I think. We'll see. And also I still, uh, I'm not sure which one of us is the doctor. I heard it speculated that uh, we are both doctors, but no, that's the person who speculated this was not sure which one we are. I mean, I feel like you're obviously you, John we could Hurt, be, right? We could be like a, a Christmas special or the two, the, well, there's already been, a, there's been a two doctors, a three doctors, I think there's been a five doctors. All Maybe we could just 14? be two assistants. All... Uh, no, sir. All Yes, that's right. It would be 14 as of uh, today. Yeah, okay. Um, Sky trenches are holding. Yeah, I, I actually put a pin in that, as you would say. But before I, I dive off into our first tangent, which I was just inspired to do by what you said, I do want to wrap up this little bit, which is, oh, and so if you want to hear us talk about pasta shapes, the way yeah. you do that is you go to relay.fm slash RD. At the top of the page, there's a bunch of links for how you can become a member. Uh, that means you pay us some money and then you get access to our members-only feed and all of the members-only stuff at Relay FM. It's a really good deal. Yep. Uh, check it out. It is a good deal. I can't decide if this should be in band or out of band, but oughtn't we also mention the, the St. Jude Project, probably? Oh, that's right, because we record so far in advance we absolutely should all i don't have a, a spiel so september is childhood cancer awareness month did i get most of that right i think so every uh, year uh we have uh, dear friends at the network who have been um their life has been greatly affected and improved by the work of saint jude's uh what's the full name saint jude children's research hospital if you've ever seen those commercials on tv with marla thomas and his adorable kids. Uh, this is that group, and uh, I give to them. Uh, uh, not that it matters, but that's one of the handful of charities I super believe in. And uh, and and, but it's meant a lot, especially to one of our our dear friends here at Relay. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, jokes have left the room for just a minute. 
And uh, I don't know if they moved to Memphis specifically because of St. Jude's, but their son was has been greatly helped by St. Jude's. And I guess you could, I don't know, think about it a little bit like giving back. But, you know, if there's any charity that's a good cause, it's, it's St. Jude's. You can go to, uh, well, there's a link to it. This is a little bit confusing. We'll put it in show notes. It's uh, it's uh, tiltify.com. You can find that on the relay.fm homepage. It's got to be like, isn't it like St. Jude.com? org slash relay fm i'm gonna find i clicked right the now. link on the web page and it took me to something called i think tiltify it looks like discord but i don't think it's discord i don't know if i know what discord is yeah no i i just this here's the url i just went to it it's okay thank you stjude.org so stjude.org slash relay fm Oh, perfect. And you know what you could do? It would be real helpful, John. Mm-hmm. You could follow that link under production notes where you could see that I've staged the episode. And so you could put uh, links for episode 164 of your reconciled difference. Don't try to change my workflow. Don't, don't do, do not do, don't put, it's don't late. paste it. Too do, late. You, why would you paste? Come on, let's get back to, let's get back to the kids. Please, can we just you please back think of the children? The kids. We're, t- we're helping, this is, you know, think of the children is what we're literally imploring you. I'm asking you to think of this child. So I don't have to go doing your <laughs> scut work. What do I, Cinderella? Yeah, um, it's, yeah. Uh, this is. I, we're going to do this. <laughs> it's such, dis- such a dismissive. Yeah, I'm. I want to get back to the, Let me. Let me do the picture because. All right. Anyway, we're. we're I am at least going to do this. I'm sure you will too on our other podcast. But because we record this one so far in advance, like there's a bunch of different you know ways you can pitch St. Jude. I think Merlin did a good job of explaining what the deal is, and it's pretty. It's a pretty easy sell. Obviously, helping mm-hmm. kids with cancer. Um, but of all the different options they give you for essentially ad copy of like, here's what you should read to get people to donate. I always seek out this one because it is the most, it it was the most mind blowing to me when I first found out about this many years ago. And it continues to be, I think probably only for Americans, but certainly for Americans, it is, it is the most compelling thing. Here is the the little snippet of text. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, or food. Well, what about what about house, housing, food, travel? They must have to pay for that on their own, John. I, I think I heard what you said, bill. but that can't be true. So if you, yeah, if your kid has cancer, you're telling me I'm going to go to this hospital and I will never receive a bill for treatment or travel or food. But it's not like a good hospital, right? I mean, there's got to be some kind of a jam up here. I, I know people who live in this civilized world. This is not impressive sounding, but uh, <laughs> sorry, having, Scandinavia having a serious illness in this country is it can bankrupt you very easily and just you will not be able to get the best available treatment because you can't afford it having and if you have a child who has cancer saint jude giving an opportunity to not only give your kid the best possible care right but also never receive a bill is just it's the only way you can even conceive of being able to endure what surely you're going to have to go through like you have enough to worry about without worrying hey do i have to sell our house and live on the street and exhaust all of our personal funds to try to save my child. The, ambu- the ambulance ride before you ever find out what's wrong with you could bankrupt you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Just the ambulance ride to, to, you know, to find out that actually there was nothing wrong with you and you just had a cold or something. Like This country's messed up. We're sorry about that. But St. Jude is trying to make it better and is trying to help kids with cancer and families that love those children. So please, uh, stjude.org slash RelayFM, give what you can. Good job, John. You know, Danny Thomas gave us a lot. Obviously, he gave us Marlo Thomas. I think he probably had some help with that. Um, but he also he also gave us he perfected the comedy spit take. He's the master of the comedy spit take, and he also uh, created I think created you know from uh, from nothing uh, Saint Jude. I know I could be wrong about that. I think it's more than a Jerry <laughs> Lewis situation. I think in this case he's not just the spokesperson. I think he's the the person who kicked it off. 
And uh, yeah, we would appreciate it. We, now, listen, just to be clear, this does not absolve you of giving us money. Exactly. Have you ever received a bill from us? Ask yourself. Right. And, and we require far, far less. You should give way more money to St. Jude. Well, let's, you know, keep it between the lines. <laughs> I mean, you can care too much. It should be on the flag. Yeah. Uh, uh, our thanks to St. Jude for uh, helping uh, a lot of families. I'm going to take my pin now. See, I remember my pins. You put a pin in a lot of things in your podcast, but sometimes the pins, the pins don't get removed. I wrote yeah. it on paper. I wrote it right here. I wrote it under the word fountain pen, which I wrote mm-hmm. in fountain pen. And mm-hmm. then I wrote here, Dr. Doctor Who. I wrote it down. The question is, the question for the group uh, that came up with some feedback based on you using the Dr. Heavy, Dr. Light analogy. Um, we Let's just stipulate, we are both doctors. Which doctors are we? Of uh, the people who've been doctors on the TV program? That's right. I think you are, I'll probably get the names wrong. I think you're the guy with the flute. Um, I think you're number two. Hmm. Uh, or I don't think you'd like to be number three. I think you're number two. And I think I'm Peter Davidson. Is that his name? I'm, oh, I'm the not? one whose daughter's married to, uh, to, to number, uh, number 10. I am at a disadvantage here because my knowledge of pre-Eccleston Doctor Who's is very low. I mean, I saw, I watched them on PBS when I was a kid, but I didn't like them. No, I understand. So I don't, so I don't have any attachment or knowledge of any of them, so it's hard for me to... Well, you got the first one who, you know, uh, was uh, kind of an old guy. I think the second one with the crazy eyes and the dark hair, he looked kind of like Barnabas Collins. I think he played the flute. You got the third one when it was a spy series. It was just kind of mostly a spy series for a while. And they hung out. What's the place called? Spectre? What's the name of the organization? You know what it's called. Uh, Lethbridge Stewart, you know, the general runs that organization. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'd like to be number four because he's my doctor. Number, number 11 is my daughter's doctor. Four is my doctor. And I was very upset when, uh, when, when, when I'm, if I'm being honest, I was very upset when we went from fourth to fifth. Because I know the caves of uh, the caves of uh, Pyrodelli or whatever is is like a good episode. And Andrazini, Andrazini. So you think I'm Patrick Troughton? That's your pick for me. I think so. Let me go look. I think I'm confusing my caves and my pastas. And I then should say who, for who the did show. you pick for yourself? Uh, number five. I think his name. Is, I want to say Peter Davidson. Yeah. Well, sure. You pick the most handsome one, right? Okay. I don't think handsome he's the most in a seventies way. Well. You know, did you know his daughter's married to David Tennant in real life? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. If you would watch all, if you would watch all the, uh, all the, uh, you know, B B sides, mm-hmm. maybe all dozens the, all of the times. Deep cuts. I would know that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to have to pick again. My knowledge, I don't, I, I don't have historical Doctor Who knowledge, so I would, I'm never going to pick one of those older ones for you or me, just because I don't know enough about them. Mm-hmm. Okay. For you, right. I, I already said that's why I was thinking of this. I'm going to go with John Hurt, who isn't even listed on here. The War Doctor. Mm-hmm. <gasps> you saying because because I'm grizzled and wise and need lots of help? I think that you are not currently the War Doctor, but that's where you're going to end up. That's where I'm going to end up. Just like the War Doctor wasn't always the War Doctor. We see him in the episode, and he is where he is, right? But that's Trenzalore. I'm going to Trenzalore. <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's like your face will eventually look like John Hurt if you're lucky. If I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah, that guy, that guy kind of did get better looking. I mean, he's he's great in everything. He's great in Midnight Express. He's great in Alien. He's great in so many things that were people before they were even sort of aware of him. You know, there's the other one. There's the guy from Withnal and I, who's only in the uh, in the movie. I think. What's that guy's name? Who's the guy Withnal and I? Uh, no you know idea. who I'm talking about. Oh, mm-hmm. come on, you love English things. Nope. 
Okay. There's a movie called With No One Eye, and the main actor that I know from can, With can No One Eye. Can you spell that so I can Google it? It's like with nail, one word. And uh, it's the guy who plays the great intelligence guy in the Snowman episode. He's He plays the one guy, and then the other guy is a doctor. Be a doctor. You know what I'm talking about? With No One oh, Eye. Richard Grant? That? Yeah. He's on Loki now. He's on Loki. Oh, that's right. Uh, I haven't gotten dis- it. Don't tell me I haven't from seen elsewhere it. also. Paul McGann. Is oh. uh is it Paul McGann I'm thinking of? Yeah, Paul McGann. Paul McGann. Now yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul McGann. I think he's the one that's just in the uh yeah, look at him. See him in a little kind of fruity suit? He's um that's that's him in that one. Who else could we be? Um Well, I have, let me let me give you my pick for myself now, because I picked to pick John Hart for you. Please, I want to hear, by all means, yeah. <sighs> so my pick for myself. If you well, let's let's Narrow this just before, just before I comment. If you had to pick from the modern doctors, uh, which one would you pick for me? Eccleston. Uh, no, See, I know you're going to get mad and think I'm calling you a robot, and no, I'm not. No, but there's the, there's the there's the there's the alien, the very alien ones. There's the kind of irascible ones. There's the the like David Tennant, you know, bumping up close to human ones. I I could see you don't think you're an. Do you think? Oh come on, you think you're a Matt Smith? No, so that was, Eccleston was going to be my pick, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think a okay. lot of people might pick me Matt Smith because he's tall and gawky and awkward, but I think he is. I, I the reason I'm picking Eccleston because I think if I was doing the, if I was in the role of the Doctor, time travel, whatever, if I, if I was that character, yeah. I would be more or less as earnest as Eccleston. Eccleston is very, very sort of earnest, not serious, but like. He's got a job to do, and he's he's pretty serious, except for the doc. Except for the doctor dances, he's not a very uh, he's not not a very fun guy. N- not in there from the Yakumops, and, and some people might pick Capaldi, like, oh, you're so cranky, but I wouldn't be as like mean and cranky as he is. And my second choice, if Eccleston isn't the one, my second choice would be Jodie Whittaker. Um, yeah, I love her just because I think she she was a little bit uh, enthusiastic, but in general, like. Both of them, and I didn't see the second, uh, the, all the Jodie Whittaker seasons, so maybe her character changed a little bit. But like, I think I would be kind of, it's like how I am in my actual job, kind of like earnest and wants to get the job done and wants to do a good job and don't mm-hmm. have much time for frivolous things. And I'm not, you know, cranky like Capaldi. I'm not like weird and quirky and charming like Tenet. And I'm not awkward. Like when I'm at work, I'm not awkward and weird like Matt Smith. So there you go. Eggleston. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm glad you picked that for me. I think you, I think you made your case. Is there any way that we can rope in companions for this? Oh, my knowledge of companions fades even more. Yeah. <laughs> the only, the only, the only thing I remember about companions, I, I, I know in the classic doctor Who, from what I've heard that the companions were even more, uh, treated less well right you know more kind of like eye candy sex objects despite the fact that the characters mm. had had interesting aspects to them they were also expected to prance around in short skirts and stuff well right? yeah it's england in the 70s come on right and so I, I feel like they they really did improve on that vastly um in the mm. modern era all right with uh, where yeah, I think but the on the one are. hand you got how he unintentionally treats amy pond you know he did but, his best huh he did his best. Oh, now he's now you're into people doing their best. Thanks. Could have used that last time. Um, but then you also got you got somebody like uh, was it Romana too. There's the the Romana who's I think she's also a Time Lord. But there's a Rom- there's a, uh, there's two Romanas. Well, and then there's the yeah I don't know. My I'm the only one of old who that my daughter remembers us having watched in our binges is the one where they're in Paris. 
which is actually a really fun episode. John Cleese has a uh, cameo in it. And that's got a very, very silly monster in it. Um, but, you know, um, Sarah Jane was great. Uh, you know who I liked? You know who I liked? Um, boy, there were a lot of good ones in New Who. I really liked Donna from The Office. I liked her a lot. I liked, um, oh, the African, and not, not African-American, <laughs> the black woman. Uh, Let's Kill Hitler. Uh, what was her name? Remember her? Uh, I do remember her. She was great. I loved her. She was kind of short-lived. What's her name? But, you know, I got a soft spot for Amy and Rory. I feel like I can, I'm a little bit Rory. I'm kind of I'm kind of a goofus, you know, who uh, who they lock in the crate. <laughs> it's funny. Before you picked up the phone, I was thinking about how you uh, all the ways you needle me, and, and but you know, I was thinking. I sometimes I'll, I'll go and I'll look at the doc, and I'll see, and I consider that kind of my job to update the doc. We've never, I don't think, discussed it, but it always pleases me when you've gone in and updated the doc and changed the dates. And I was thinking how uh, I would never pay you this compliment, especially not publicly. But I think you do a good job with that. You're very thorough and you, you remember to change all the dates and all the numbers and you move everything to the right area. And, but I was also thinking about how I'm really glad I, I don't work for you. It's funny you should say that. Not that you would ever hire me, but maybe there's been a reorg and they've got to put me somewhere. Maybe <laughs> I, I say something. I can't afford your loyalty right now, Marlon. I believe me. I understand. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you get a little one for that. You, uh, you know, but if I got installed, you know, as your companion, and you had to find something to do with me and check my work and stuff like that. I don't, I don't think it'd be good for either of us. This is probably the ideal arrangement. What do you think? I mean, I, you would have no problem working, quote unquote, for me. Martha, do you Martha set clear Jones. Expect, Martha Jones, do you set clear? You know what's a good one is, uh, you remember the one uh, with What's Her Head um, <clears throat> where he doesn't know he's the doctor? I think it's school, the school one where he's there were uh, 10 is the teacher. Remember that one? Vaguely. It's a really good one. Um, do you, do you, do you, do you feel like, um, do you feel like you set clear expectations with, with your lessers? I mean, I, I spent a small portion of my career being a people manager, did not like it, probably didn't do a great job, but the people who worked for me didn't hate me. So that's, that's one. Well, maybe they were on scared of, of you. Have you thought about that? They, you can be they pretty scary. They absolutely were not scared of me. You're very intimidating. In a lot no, of ways. No, it's fine. Like I said, like, uh, you know, it's a uh, Eccleston, like he's just, you, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm earnest. I'm enthusiastic. I want to get the job done. A minimum mm -hmm. of fuss. Uh, okay. And, you know, but also not take it too super seriously. Like just, yeah, just the right level of earnestness. Can't believe I've talked this long without mentioning Rose. I also, I love Rose. Yeah, that was my favorite uh, companion line is that one of the episodes and in, in maybe in the, the first Rose season, the second, but she's possessed by an alien something or maybe someone, someone, someone body swaps with her, right? She, she, she gets bad wolfed. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so someone goes into her body and, and the first line of the person arriving in Rose's body and being on Earth and she's, she goes, whew, it's like being inside a bouncy castle. <laughs> oh, this is a bouncy castle. I also like, uh, I also like Rose's uh, mom. I like, I like their family. And, and you know, in that one, the sad one that makes me cry, one, one of my least favorite episodes except for the end, you know, the David Tennant end, I think it's so sweet. He's like, you know, has a feeling it's going to be a good year. Ugh. I get shivers just thinking about it. Yeah, I like I like the the first rose season. I was, that, I mean, that's what got me. That's what got me into the show. And they, then they sing him, John. The, the Oods sing him. They sing him to his sleep. Do you remember that? And he he holds his little transistor radio, and then oh, you got the that that's oh. See, I'm getting shivers just singing to myself. They sing him to his sleep. The Ood. So again, I mentioned that I had you know seen Doctor Who on PBS, but hated it and never watched it. 
Uh, my memory of Doctor Who only, is only just that boring British show that would come on PBS sometimes and I would be annoyed when good shows like Nova aren't on and I would just turn it off. Right. So I really knew nothing about it other than Doctor Who exists. And I would, you know, it was just incredibly boring 70s British black and white oh often television show. So when I watched Doctor Who, the, you know, the first Eccleston season, like the the reboot or not reboot, but the return or whatever after a long hiatus, um, the, in the first episode, they introduce the doctor for a new audience and say, here's this guy and here's what he does and here's the TARDIS, right? And they do all that stuff. And he, you know, he, he lands down in the TARDIS and, you know, he tells Rose towards the end of the episode, oh, you should come with me. This is my spaceship. We'll go blah, blah, blah. And Rose is like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. And then uh, the doctor says, you know, it's also a time machine. Mm-hmm. And, and I was and I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. This yeah. is the level of Dr. Who that I'm at. That when they said, you know, it's also a time machine, this was news to me in 2005. I was like, oh, it's a spaceship and it's a time machine. That's going to make for <laughs> a lot of interesting storytelling possibilities. With the Antartis. <laughs> this, is the, the mo- this is the most uh, like uh, Dr. Who noob moment, but also like I, I, and now I cherish that having seen umpteen seasons of the show. That like that that's the level I was at when I entered uh, the world of Dr. Who. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. And you, like you don't already know, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and to run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has got you covered. They combine cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use uh, very easy drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more, all with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile, so your content automatically adjusts to look great on any device or dingus. You also get free, unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. And they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And listen, as ever, I really suggest if you're going to get a domain name, make sure it's unique. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to run into all kinds of problems. I don't have time to get into it. Just you get it. Make it unique. Make it unique. Beautiful. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there, right? Get them out there. You use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new site. You can showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs, publish your next blog post, promote your business, announce an upcoming event. Woof, what can't you do with Squarespace? Well, I mean, you can pretty much do anything. It's Squarespace. That's just, mm, it's really good. So right now, please go to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-A-F-F-S. And get a free trial with no credit card required when you're ready to launch. Use our very special offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or unique domain. Squarespace.com slash DIFFS. Use that offer code DIFFS for 10% off your first purchase. It shows your support for John Craig Syracuse, and he loves your support. Ugh, he'll never say it, but he's so into it. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Um... You know, if you have any comments about this, you can you can send them to John on the internet. But I think we did pretty well with that. I think we're off to as you know good a start as uh, 
we could expect. Uh, for follow-up, we have vacation results results. Yeah, this is, I mean, you can take or leave this as you want, but I That's think last, ep- last episode was... Uh, that's a banger. Uh, yeah, like I, I feel like it was a, a reasonably good companion episode to my Eliminator pin extra thing of like a, uh, a single host heavy episode, uh, whether or not they're the doctor, mm-hmm. where we have to talk about something, as you would say, that, uh, you know, reveals our vulnerabilities, right? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, And so you did that, which was a thing you didn't necessarily have to do, but you did. And I just wanted to know how how you're feeling since then, and how like do you do you regret doing that podcast? It's too late now; it's out in the oh, world. Oh no! Anyway, uh, or uh, sure. you know, have you had an outpouring of support? Oh, uh, I see. Vacation results, results. So, yes, what are the has, results of having presented my vacation yeah. results? Has Delta yeah. called to apologize? Like anything? <laughs> no, not that I'm aware of. I don't usually pick up uh, too much. Uh, how do I feel? No, I think it, I think it went fine. I you know. Uh, I mean, at least from my own point of view, I said, you know, what I needed to say. Ugh. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. We did it and how it went. Um, and I, in listening back to it, I, I wondered at the time how I felt about whether I might be being defensive toward your devil's advocacy. And um, I continue to not agree with some of what you said and what you, you know, and I, I, I get the whole idea of like, oh, yeah, like, did you actually slam this woman into a wall because she's blind? And it's like, I kept thinking through all those things. And I was like, I have a pretty, I have a series of pretty good flashbulbs about what happened that uh, fraught afternoon. And just for myself, like, I, I don't know how to speak French. I regret nothing. Like, <laughs> she was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but then also like this week, they just announced that they're going to start, I don't know, retroactively or proactively, they're going to start fining people for like bad behavior on planes. And <laughs> you they, got it in just under the line. Well, we, we, we don't, well, okay, maybe so. That's funny. But also, I, uh, on the one hand, of course, so that story that was on cable news a lot the last little while was accompanied by lots of anecdotes of like people doing like, Pretty wild stuff, you know, often involving uh, like some kind of ex- express deliberate violence and express deliberate disruption and laying down in the aisles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of funny mixed feelings about it because I know what happened in that exchange. And I know, and again, you, 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 you were framing this as, okay, was this unjust? Was that not fair? I don't have a, an opinion on that. It's their flight. They should do what they think is right to keep the people safe. But I, I'm of two minds because I do know what happened and I know what they said happened is not what happened. And so I had a kind of a funny moment where I was thinking like, uh, to be honest with you, I was 80% good. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad they're going to give fines to people who are like <laughs> punching flight attendants or like feeling up people on the plane or you know, any of those things were like, you know, people get weird when they fly. There's lots of theories on this. It's related to the whole, like, why do we cry, you know, during mm-hmm. lack of oxygen, yeah. a lack of oxygen or like there's even been some wackadoo stuff about, I don't know how they come up with this given that the plane is pressurized, but it's less pressurized than the ground though, a lot. But I mean, on the one hand, I was very much like, yeah, good. Like, I think people, people should not be acting that way. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't I be that guy who's going, oh, this is really unjust? Well, it's, no. well, what happened to me? Well, no, but the thing is, 
Like I, I, in under that regime and under what happened in my scenario, I could very well be in line to re- receive some kind of $35,000 fine, not because of what happened, but because of what they said happened. And so I was 80%. And, you know, of course, this is the wrong decade to start thinking a lot about like <laughs> trusting authority figures. But, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I mean, I, you asked me about the results, the results, my thing in my thinking about it, I continue to think lots of things that are just very, just not that interesting, kind of disappointing, which is like, if there's any strong feeling I have about all of this, like you really want to focus on the whole, like, oh, you had a bad trip. And so can you trace why you did this to this person? Whereas I'm more like, I was there. I know what I said. I know how I said it. And I know I did not bump into anybody, let alone shove them. And so, uh, no, I mean, I'm not sitting around going like, oh gosh, I hope they enforce this laxly so that I can continue to abuse the elderly. (laughs) No, quite the opposite. It's the part that's concerning to me as with anything like this and why I am so open to the idea that 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 person was having, that that flight attendant was having a bit of a blowout. Understandably, I wouldn't want that job. It's ridiculous. No, I, I think that kind of thing is a good idea. Not a good idea. Like I don't, I'm not like a go punish the people I don't like person, but I could very much understanding them needing to have you know, some kind of a a system in place for dealing with people. But there's also just, I don't know. I mean, I've I've said enough. I've said enough. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible, it's a fraud experience. I don't like traveling in general. And if it seems like it's even possible, I like travel even less right now. Um, And I don't know. I'm glad, I'm glad I talked about it. And I'm, I'm really sorry. My family, most of all, I'm sorry. My family had to deal with that. You know, that's, I just, I think about, like I said last time, I think about how I would feel if something like that happened in my presence and I'd be losing my goddamn mind. So yeah, I mean, that's, what are your, what are your thoughts? How's your, how's your family feel about it now that they know the whole story and everything? Are they more angry about it than you are or less? Um, I don't think so. It did, it did lead to a short live meme that my daughter eventually has banned from the house, which is. Because uh, she generally just kind of like, she she runs like a freight train through the house. Not runs, but she moves like a freight train through the house and you just like better not be in her way. And on a couple occasions, I said, get the And it was funny the first three times. And then, uh, and now she, she's banned that. I'm not even allowed to say, uh, get the heck out of my way, please. She's, she's just, it's a dead bit. She's retired the bit, which is a shame because I thought it was a good bit. But no, I don't think they have any particular, particularly strong um, feeling about it. I mean, I, 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 if I were them, I'd be kind of bummed. I'd be bummed that it happened. I'd be bummed that I was in, sorry about that, that I was involved in it, I guess. But I, I would, I'm probably projecting here, but I don't know. John, this had happened to me when I was 20, 30, maybe even 40. I would have felt very differently about it. Because you know, I I I used to be full, <laughs> I used to be full of piss and vinegar, and now I'm just full of vinegar. I was gonna say that's one of the benefits of getting older is that stuff like this does not <laughs> stay with you as long. No, uh, and I, this is admittedly a, a, a pretty privileged thing to, to say, given the easy life that I've had compared to a lot of people. But there was a time, and who knows? Maybe if I'd been swinging from the rafters and talking about how unjust it was, it could have gone real, real differently possibly for the better, but almost definitely likely for the worse. <laughs> for the better? No, I don't think it could possibly. <laughs> well, John, how do you feel? You you seem, I know you you like to have fun with this idea of not trusting your memory or all these different things, but how do you feel when somebody accuses you of something you didn't do? 
Do you, do you just go, well, maybe I misunderstood? I, I just mostly, uh, I mean, so there is the aspect of I will indeed entertain the, the possibility that the worst possible thing, that I did the worst possible thing and somehow don't realize it. Because that's but, just okay, my, well, let's, that's make just it, let's make it in terms you can understand. If you've decided, if you've architected a solution to a technical problem, and, and you know the way, you can like just see it in a flash, what needs to be done. And then like, f- let's say two to five other people say, no, you, that's wrong. We all agree this is the right way to do it. And, and you watch them hatch a solution that makes absolutely zero sense, but you're outvoted. You're outnumbered in that case. And you know, you know what's, what's true. In that case, that's all just abstract math in some ways. Uh, but but this, is, this is why gaslighting works, because if you don't actually have any kind of hard evidence and it's just your memory against the, other, the rest of the group, it is, I mean, I'm not going to say easy, but it is possible to eventually mm-hmm. be convinced to not trust your own memory, right? Like that's gaslighting. Especially right? if it's that's, something you do feel, as you say, vulnerable about. If you, I think that's one reason it's particularly horrible in a lot of cases when somebody who's in a position of more power is gaslighting someone in a position of less power. So it wouldn't be unusual to go into that situation with that less powerful person already feeling, you know, pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty dodgy about stuff. And if you're outnumbered, right, on top of that. And if you're outnumbered, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, so I I would definitely, that would be one aspect of my reacting to this is I would be second guessing myself and doubting myself and doing all those things. But also there's the other part of me, which, I mean, I did this on the, the podcast, which is immediately go to solutioneering fantasies about there have to be cameras on that plane. Like, how could there not be cameras recording this? Maybe there's cameras in the jetway. Like, there is hard evidence that exists that will validate, right? That will tell us the, the truth, right? A, sor- a source of truth. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. technologically, especially you mentioned that th- I didn't know anything about this whole finding thing. If you're going to find people things, I mean, obviously, you know, people, rich people will just get lawyers and fight the airlines and figure it out or whatever. But it's like, this is a knowable thing. Like, if you act badly on an airplane, like, yeah. I have no problem with with cameras being on airplanes. Like, in the same way, if you have dash cams to, to sell what really happened in an accident, I feel like this is the mostly good thing. I don't think there's any specific uh, right to privacy while no, it's traveling. A public, on, it's a, I mean, there's a camera on your ATM. Why wouldn't there be one on right, the plane? Right, right. And, and that solves a lot of problems, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so easy. I mean, you think of this, this happens in every sort of movie or whatever, the villain. It's so easy for one villain and or person having a bad day to plant the seed that then dominoes and 17 good people eventually confront you because they all believe the story they were told by the one person who's snickering in the back, whether that's the old lady or the first flight attendant or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, I don't, you don't want to empower and you don't want to enable one person in that chain to set off that, that thing of dominoes because then you're just wrapping up a bunch of good people. Like say those two people who are confronting you, if they seem like they honestly believe that and they were told that by somebody else and it's not their yeah. fault that they were told bad information, but now, now they're sort of, you know, complicit in this thing that they don't know is a lie and you're being subject to this injustice has like cameras, people cameras. We could find out what happened. It's a knowable yeah, thing. But, but, but put, putting it a different way or thinking about it, it's just a slightly different way. If, um, if something, if, if a flight attendant saw something that they found very concerning, I don't think you should need a camera to deal with it. No, no, but ju- this is more like after the fact. You can't, again, you can't adjudicate it there, but if they're going to be fining people like, oh, we're going to fine yeah. you $10,000, like, okay, now we're right, going right. to go to the videotape. I'm sorry, but I'm not, we're not going to go on your word, right? To, because yeah. then you know, that's ridiculous, right? It, in the moment, you have to go by the word of your staff or whatever, but the reason you have the cameras to find, oh, this staff member routinely lies about bad behavior of passengers to get people kicked off they don't like, right? That's the yeah. thing you should know as an airline, right? So Yeah, there's just, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I was talking enough about this. Um, uh, but I, um, 
I don't know. It's it is it's a funny thing in life. Like I really, really, really would rather be happy than right in life. And I would rather be unmolested than molested. And the kinds of people who even at my age are always running around talking about who they're gonna sue and all this kind of stuff. And you don't you don't want any of that. It's, yeah. No, no, no. You're you're hang on, you're selling past the clothes. But like I I you encounter this just all the time where I mean, I think I can be a very frustrating character in life because I, I find myself sometimes saying the equivalent of, well, what are you going to do? Not as in like, what are you going to do? But more like, well, what are you going to do? What can you do? Because I, I think a lot of people really, people get emotional, uh, understandably, like get very emotional about certain things in life. And then if their usual method of trying to resolve it didn't resolve it to their satisfaction, then they they fall back on these you know grave threats and whether that's violence or lawsuits or whatever. And like, I just, I don't think that's wholesome. And it just, it bums me out. Cause people are always like, you know, I'm trying to abstract this, but like you'll encounter people who will be like, oh, this person has to do this thing. And I go, yeah, they're supposed to do that. That's, that's, that's accurate. Like, well, so why don't we do this? Like, why don't we, why don't we sue them? Or why don't we do this? And you're like, have you ever been involved in a lawsuit? <laughs> like, have you ever, like, is anybody in your family and really any angle, even like just being like the bailiff, <laughs> if you've ever been anywhere near a lawsuit, it is really not a thing that you want to get into. And I realized that sometimes, you know, it, because of America and the way that it works, it's a shame that lawsuits have become what they've become, partly because in the adversarial systems of American government, suing doesn't necessarily mean you hate somebody. Sometimes it's just a way, it's the only way to address something that can't be settled. And so, so you know, Congress is not necessarily suing people to do or like you know trying to get Trump's financial records or whatever. That's that has I feel like it's gotten the reputation of being a thing you do to smite somebody who you hate and must see destroyed and like you know dissolved. And because that is how people use it. But I don't know, man. I just maybe I'm just I've become very timid and low low T. Or something, but like that's just no. It's the opposite. You're 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 no longer beholden to your animal instincts for justice and can just continue to live your life like a normal person. I like, hope again, so. I bless the know, blessedness of not being a twenty year old male anymore. <laughs> sometimes I'll hear. So I, you know, my private office is located on a kind of a thoroughfare for our side of town. Yeah, you've been here, um, and you know, you'll hear the buses or the streetcars going by. But like at least a couple three times a day. I guess partly because I'm near an intersection with a stop sign. I'll just hear the most egregious like screeching and honking and then more honking. And I don't even, I feel like I can just see it. I can, I can just see that now that person's probably, now I might be projecting from my 20 year old self here as well, but they're probably going to go like chase that person for a little while. They're going to keep honking their horn. They're going to flip them off. They're going to get into a whole thing. And it's like, I'm, I am the, I'm the most useless part-time Buddhist in the world, but I know that, to use a, a phrase I may or may not have coined, I think I coined, a stupid can't stick to me. Like, it's up to me to cleave something unto myself and to carry it around with me. And I, I already have really, you know, weak knees and a, and a bad back, and I, I don't want to have to carry anything. I don't have to, especially if it's a, a pointless emotion involving a stranger, you know? Another benefit of spending a lot less time on Twitter is, like, just comes into sharper and sharper relief how deliberately terrible we are to each other all the time. And I don't know, now it's turning into a speech. Uh, vacation results, results. Uh, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad I'm home. I never want to travel again. Sounds good to me. <laughs> done and done. Mm-hmm.
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by our friends at Memberful. You can learn more about Memberful right now by visiting memberful.com slash diffs. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience. It's used by the biggest creators on the web. Uh, you can generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. And that's a great thing to diversify, if you ask me. Now, you, you might have heard us uh, before talking about the Relay FM membership program. That you can go to relay.fm slash rd to support this particular program. What you may not know is that Memberful is the platform we use for that program. You guys, you can give Syracuse your money, and, and it's uh, all with the help of Memberful. Make it super easy to generate uh, the extra revenue stream and to deliver bonus content to your members. Now, I'm old enough to remember that it used to be really hard to do things with money on the internet. And, and, and listen, it, it, internet or otherwise, it's always been hard to uh, difficult to connect with the, the people who like what you do and to give them a way to pay you for it. So why wouldn't you do it? Just you go to Memberful, memberful.com slash diffs. So, you know, maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income, but Memberful makes it easy to diversify that income with everything you need to run a membership program. You can get custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, thank you, free trials, private podcasts, and tons more. And uh, it leaves you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. So if you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize that passion. Monetize your passion. You go to memberful.com slash diffs. Okay? Get started for free. No credit card required. Memberful.com slash diffs. D-I-F-F-S. You go there now. Check it out. It could be the start of something exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I workshopped that little uh, the meme for you there. I, I I messed up the first time. I, was, I see you're doing time, you're doing my daughter's meme. Yeah, that's not. Your oh my! Meme. She doesn't God. know that meme. Well, she owns it to me. Sure, Grandma. Let's get that. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> oh, I I fixed it. The fixed <laughs> version has the you in there and the comma. You did um, you did uh, you did impact and everything. That's just a meme generator. Would you do that? Oh, I see. You didn't use Acorn or anything. No, no. I mean, I'm doing mm. I'm doing this on the fly here. So I'm gonna do it. Yeah, but you like to hold your in own. the dark. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna... That's a that's a sticky concept. I talked about that on uh, Back to Work today. It's become very important. To me. <laughs> you're gonna let that one just go by, huh? How's that? <laughs> Come what? on. You're 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 falling behind today. One handed in the dark. Yeah, that's a sticky concept. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's something Come that on. came to me. Something that came to me. Uh-huh. What? All right, now you're with me. All right, thank you. Finally. Jeez. What? I don't understand. I did also note today that how, as much as I love the song Come On Eileen, it's very important that you have that comma. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it sounds like a request or a demand. What are the words after that in the chorus? I swear well he means at this moment. You mean everything? N- no, that's not what the words are. What are they? Is okay. that what they are? Are no. they in a different language? Making it up. Poor old Johnny Ray sounded sad upon the radio. He moved a million hearts in mono. Our mothers cried. We'd blame them. Go read the go read go read the lyrics to come on comma Eileen, and you're not going to recognize a single syllable. Uh, not not the chorus, I guess the bridge. The we are far uh, too young and clever after that. Dun, dun, dun. I thought it was. Um, let's go look. Come it's on, not Eileen. English. It's some other language. It's got to be. No, it's or, not. Or it's, or it's cat singing. I can't. You you just you will never see expertise on anything. My mm-hmm. God. Okay. I'm asking you. Give me the answer then. You're asking. I'm telling. Dun, 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 dun. Let's see. Poor old, poor old Johnny Ray sounded sad upon the radio, moved a million hearts in mono. Our mothers cried, sang along, who'd blame them? Mm-hmm. You've grown, so grown, so grown. No, I must say more than ever. 
Um, and what's next? Oh, I swear what he means. Come on, Eileen. Oh, I swear what he means at this moment. Yeah, I mean, everything. You're, you're skipping over the part that I want to get. <laughs> to Raye? Yeah, what's that part? They're saying that To Raye is the name of the album, and they're singing it like the way you would sing like a like a fairy tale. Here is what the here's here's what the interwebs website uh, the random what is this from uh, Google this is what Google says so what do you make of that I say not I don't English. know all I'm saying okay it goes like this it goes to ra lu ra to ra lu ra exactly what is that I mean it's um, not words not words at all I'm telling you it's, it's like hey it's like a hey nani nani kind of thing all right scat right? singing you'd call it I mean. Oh my God! How are you totally unplugged from the folk tradition? <laughs> I know. Do you just are you just utterly unfamiliar with the child ballads? What's what are we talking I'm, about here? I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you a playlist. It's gonna hurt. But see, they don't have a comma either. It just says "Come on, Eileen." Doesn't seem right. Turalura, turalurae. Um, the album Turae. Oh my God. I love Dexy's Midnight Runners. And no, they're not a one hit wonder. They're amazing. And uh, I'm going to point you to, and our listeners, I will add it to show notes because I'm a good person. Um, there's a really good series as YouTube series go. Uh, I forget the name of the channel, but the series inside this dude's channel is called New British Canon. And it's his, he just kind of does like a, you know, like covers uh, something like, uh, you know, Sisters of Mercy, or in this case, Dexy's Midnight Runners, or whatever. And it's a really good uh, short video on um, Dexy's. Uh, and there is no possessive. It's just, it's, Dex it's drugs. It's Dexy's, like Dexedry. Yeah, I was going to point that out with St. Jude. No possessive there either. Oh, St. Jude, apostrophe. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what the, uh, I think it was the lead singer of uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners said about the music video for Come On Eileen? Uh, only what I've heard in this video. I know that he goes through every album, at least he goes through stages. He had a, a two total turnover, turnovers of the band. And this was, they were going for a, uh, an Irish ragamuffin look. He renamed the string section. He gave them all fake Irish names. He was a monster to work with. Uh, this was, I think I learned, I think this, I learned this from Papa Video on VH1, but apparently he described the music video as a celebration of the armpit. Oh yeah, I could see that. Because oh, it really a does feature uh, a you can, large They look stinky. It's a stinky looking group. Right, and and you do see there's a lot of the arms are over the head a lot exposing armpits, so it really is a celebration of the armpit. He's a big well, okay, go look, go Google for um, bum, 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 Gino. Never mind, I'll put this in notes. Never mind, we we got a lot to talk about here. We got to talk about tests. I'm looking through my history. I sure like music. Music is good. Uh, before we move on to before we move on to standardized tests, what's your what's your final answer on Turalu Raturalu Raye? There's a word for this. Uh, it's a, like you, you joke about stuff like scatting, but there's a name for when you're singing, but you're not, and I'm not talking mm -hmm. about, you know, I'm not talking about uh, like a uh, Cocteau Twins fake language thing, but there's a, a, vo a vocalization. Is that the term? I mean, the reason I said scat singing is because that's what Bono calls it when he, when he says non-word uh, sounds. Don't listen to that guy. <laughs> but like if you say sha-na-na-na, sha-na-na-na-na, what yeah. would you call that? I mean, I, like I said, I just call scat singing because that's what Bono calls it. What about Womp Womp Bobaloo Baba Womp Bam Boob Tutti Fruity? What about that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Similar. Mm, all right. But I feel, I feel like this sound, like the, the vowel sounds chosen, make it seem different, I guess. Um, It could be. 
you know, because look, uh, you got to watch this video. It's really funny. It starts with a Simpsons video of when the B Sharps are going to get the uh, Grammy. We beat Dexie's Midnight Runners. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to paste that in here and I will put it into uh, show notes. You can find show notes and you can give us your circus your money at uh, relay.fm slash RD. Come on. Eileen Tolu Ryan. Apparently there is no comment in the song title. No, I'm telling you. They're just saying, come on, Eileen. Which I think is, that's unseemly. Even in Ireland, if I'm being honest. At this moment, you know. At this moment, you know. She means everything. I swear, I swear to God, this has never happened before, is what he mm -hmm. says. And he shows his armpits. Okay, put that into there. We, um, in previous episodes, we've been... We, put this off for a long time we got into the uh the long arc of talking about not all things but many things college i think we've talked about it twice now i think what, what do we start with our personal experience and college as a thing we had um a supersized mine eye topic that was i don't know i feel like the parts i ended up talking about anyway were like i don't want to say class but college and its role in our caste society mm-hmm <laughs> Uh, what else am I leaving out? That's, that's the two. What else have we talked about with college? A little bit about kids. You know, that's how we got into the discussion of like, because you're dealing kids, with this yeah, kids, kids face with college and what is it like today, you know, and what does it mean? And so, yeah, the final bit here, final, or maybe second to final bit is to talk a little bit about standardized testing, mm -hmm. which I think we touched on. Um, but yeah, my son has recently gone through, um, and I guess, you know, we can give the compressed version of this uh, with the quick summary of our experiences. You took standardized tests for college admission when you were a kid? Um, I forget where this was, but yeah, in terms of what we've, I guess, talked about, uh, well, I don't go too far, but yeah, I, I didn't have a plan for college. Uh, even after I graduated from high school, I didn't have much of a plan for college. There had been no sort of apportioned a uh, budget or savings for that. So what I took was I had all the kinds of, of uh, you know, Scantron type tests beginning, I think, in elementary school, whenever that started. And then the ones in high school, I had the PSAT, which I scored extremely well on, and the ACT that I did okay on. And I took the ACT because I heard it was easier than the SAT. But it was the PSAT that got the interest of the United States Marine Corps. They had them uh, banging on my door. My, my PSATs were off the chart, according to to Captain uh, Hartman. Do you, do you remember what your score was? On the PSAT or ACT? PSAT. I don't. Um, was, was it like a third? Was 13 a thing? No. I don't know. <laughs> I, I had a... I had it was a, good um, enough for the Marines. Well, you know, there's no, there's no retired Marines. Mm -hmm. No atheists in foxholes. Mm -hmm. My ACT was uh, 27, which I learned was not particularly distinguished. Yeah, I don't know anything about ACT scoring. So that's that's interesting. My, I mean, ACT, that's like, you know, that's University of Florida, with all due respect. It's not, that's not going to be, you know, Ivy League. Everybody I know has higher ACT scores than me. Not that I care, because as, you, spoiler alert, <laughs> I think standardized testing is BS. <laughs> but it's important. So you got to, you know, be serious about it. Yeah, when I was taking it, uh, I... I only vaguely heard about the ACT that it basically it was it was a thing that existed that uh, less smart people took who lived in the South. Like that's mm -hmm. that's that was my opinion of ACT. Story checks out. Yeah. 
Um, and so it was only SATs. And so <laughs> are you are you are you taking taking the Mickey or are you being serious? That's what the, you thought. I'm I'm not saying that's the truth. I'm saying no no that no no. Was, but that's that, hilarious because that's, that's exactly what, the case. If if you had asked me in high school what is the ACT and I gave you an honest answer, I'd say oh um, I'm not really sure, but I think it's a thing that that uh, not very smart people take it. It's like the, the, the pro SAT. wrestling pro wrestling of college prep. <laughs> yeah, but it was totally like just like it was assumed that, that we were all going to go to college. From my high school it was also assumed, of course, you're going to take the SATs because that's how you get into high school. Guess how you get into college, right? And yep. it was so yep. such a gateway. That not that your high school grades didn't matter and not, you know, you're supposed to be a well-rounded student, yada, yada. Yeah, but, but it, it's, it's basically like the Gospels, like the your good works alone are not enough to get you in. Right. And the SAT loomed so large, like so, so large that it was like it almost didn't it, you felt like it almost didn't matter. It's like I spent all these years in high school working hard as a student. I didn't, but other people might have. Anyway, um, you would feel like and then you're telling me it all comes down to this one day and this one stupid test and this one number. And that's yeah. all that's all we talked about for until we all passed through that portal, which was, you know, of course, we're all going to take the SATs. And now your life depends on this one number. Now, there was there were some things that help with that. One of them was that unlike most tests in your high school life, you were allowed to take it more than once. So if you took it and mm. you screwed up, you mm-hmm. got no, at least one other shot at it. And if you really wanted to squeeze it in, you could get a third shot at it. I think I don't remember the details, but anyway, I took it twice. Um, because of course you want to take, I think that was, I I feel like remembering amongst my smarter peers that that was just considered a smart thing to do. Yeah. Do do as well as you can the first time and then leverage that experience alongside. And when I was in high school, I don't remember formalized prep being much more than answer the ones, you know, first, all the kind of basic (laughs) meat and potato. Well, no, it's true. And I, 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 I would forget that at my peril. Like, don't spend your day on the first question if you if it doesn't come to you relatively easily. And learning, and I learned this when I was studying for, um, <laughs> I want to say MCAT. I was about to say, uh, what's the one, the, the college, Jerry? Uh, not Jerry. No. What's the one? Is that Jerry is graduate school, right? Okay. GED is the one. Okay. GRE. I was studying for the GRE, and uh, that's where I learned a lot more. I mean, after college was where I learned more of the formal sort of conventional wisdom stuff. You know, ignore stuff like always pick C. That's not strong advice. But also just that idea of like how to, you know, the stuff you've definitely probably learned of like, get answer the ones you can do first. You can always go back. There's no reason you have to do them in any order. But, you know, you do need to put in, if you don't know and you're running out of time, put in something because something is better than nothing. It depends on the test. Like, are you penalized for wrong answers versus, you know. I think that's true for most college entry things. Uh, it's too I could long, be, I too could long ago for me to remember, but yeah. Me too, me too. But like, um, no, I do feel like that was conventional wisdom, uh, even in those, you know, Neolithic times was you're going to do a certain kind of prep for this. I mean, same way that like, I guess Ralph Cramden would prepare for name that tune. Like, what are you gonna do? Read all the encyclopedias, you know? But no, that became so professionalized over time, but you do one, one, and then you do another. And I think people did generally do better the second time, I feel like. And so this gets into the, you know, the tip of the giant iceberg, which is that uh, standardized testing, uh, you, you described it as BS earlier, but um, standardized testing is essentially like every other part of our society, uh, you know, racist, classist, the da- deck is stacked against poor people who are not white, right? In so well, many it's, ways. It's, an, it's one important aspect, but if you're training for the decathlon, if you're planning to be in a decathlon, that's the 10, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to have to prep for all of those events. Like, I, you're not going to do great if you just never learn how to throw the stone or whatever. Standardized testing, I feel like, 
as just as an outsider and like consumer, yeah, that it tests something very important, but boy, there's a lot of other stuff in life that I'd love to see evaluated. That's not just how well did you prep for a test? I don't know. That That's a really yeah, simple well, way to look at it, but God, it's so gross. Uh, before you even get to the content, which is its own issue, the bottom line is that kids whose parents have money send them to special courses that teach them how to beat the test because the test yes. is indeed standardized and you can look at past tests and there's an entire industry built up around learning how to beat this specific test. Who's taking all those classes? Who's taking the best versions of those classes? The, the poor, kids money, obviously right? the poor, yeah. <laughs> right. And so that's that's the first way it's stacked against you. And the second way is the actual content of the tests, which you may look at and, and you know, if you look at the content of the SAT, particularly, you know, setting aside the math, which but even that has like word problems, but like anything like this, there's passages of text that you have to read that you're asked questions about and so on and so forth. And if you look at the content of the test and you say, this isn't biased one way or the other at all, it's just completely neutral. You're probably white um, because and and a native born American because they do have to select content f to be, right. you know, the reading passages. They do have to come up with scenarios in the word problems. And that content and those word problems are straight up the middle of white bread America. And that's why it seems neutral to straight up the middle of white bread America. Mm -hmm. the, the subjects they're talking about, the people who write them, the way things are written about, the vernacular, everything from top to bottom, right? And I'm not saying like, oh, this test is impossible for, you know, it's impossible for people to get good scores on unless you're a white man. No, but like, it's just th one thing on top of another aligning to make this test not what it claims to be, which is a, a value-neutral reflection of your... How, what exactly, learned. exactly. Of, of whatever it thinks it's going to be. It's not even a value-neutral way to tell, as we've discussed in the past, of whether you're going to do well in college, right? Because colleges are much more, especially with different majors, are much more varied than the SAT is. Depending on which college you go to and what you major in, that curriculum may be much more suited to you, your life experience, your strengths, and your potential lack of taking six weeks of a very expensive course to learn how to ace this thing, right? Like yeah. college isn't, isn't going to be like the SAT in that way. So yes, if you do figure out how to conquer the SAT, it shows that you're in a position to pay for preparatory co courses, to take them seriously and, you know, overcome whatever cultural bias that is inherent in the test, right? But that doesn't, you know, you could do terribly in the SAT and then go to a school where you major in art and do awesome. Or like, you know, major in theoretical physics, which requires a type of thinking that is not tested in any way by the SAT and right. do amazing there, right? So it's, it is such a blunt instrument. And I remember learning about the concept of preparatory classes. And as you can imagine, if hearing tales from me as a student, hated the idea of having to go to school to learn to take a test, like you extra free time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's the last thing I want in the world is like oh so there's this big test I have to take and it's super important and I have to take it twice oh and by the way there's some other extra school I have to go to after school to make me better at taking the test I don't want to take twice talk about unjust no. right but but anyway my parents could pay for the fancy course did pay for it and it did help me get better scores and I did did I score better the second time I did do better the second time because <laughs> mm -hmm. mostly probably because I was less nervous This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Privacy.com. You can learn more about Privacy.com right now by visiting Privacy.com 
slash diffs. Um, you know, privacy.com, this is a thing that I could have really used oh many times in the past. I'll never forget the first time that my uh, uh, credit card was compromised. And, and I got the fraud warning that uh, basically somebody had gotten my credit card number and was using it to create accounts on a Christian dating site. And, you know, I, I, I got, you know, the money back mostly, but, uh, but it was, it was super frustrating. And to this day, I, I wonder, you know, if somebody ever found the, their Christian match, you know, so, so privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure uh, by generating virtual numbers, privacy masks your bank information. Shh. So you never have to worry about giving it out to people that you don't know online. Uh, I, seriously, I I I have uh, signed up for this service. I haven't used it yet, but I but I'm dying to try it because you know I I I'm not against uh, Christian dating, but you know get your own card. I, I feel like that's not too much to ask, you know. And, and maybe you should look into it too. You can take take back control of your payments. Okay. Decide who can charge your card, how much, and how often. And you can close cards at any time. This is so cool. Plus, you can make sure that you are never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. And Privacy is partnered uh, with our friends at uh, 1Password. So you can create, use, and save Privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. How cool is that? All virtual cards created in 1Password will have the same security benefits as your other Privacy cards. You can set spending limits. You can create single-use or merchant lock cards whenever you want. I need to do this. So right now, please, you go over, you head over to uh, privacy.com slash diffs. That's D-A-F-F-S. And you, and you sign up for an account, okay? New customers, you uh, automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Uh, how could you not do this? You, you do it. Get your privacy. Go to privacy.com slash diffs and sign up now. You know? And, and, and you listen, if you want to date another Christian, use your own card. They can just have that. Our thanks to Privacy uh, for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Yeah, I mean, I, I this is this is probably just a huge example of me just talking straight out of my butt. But um, I I don't know. Like for example, something that we've we've talked about we talked about this previously, but something you hear, oh, we're all kind of stuck with it. We're really stuck with the SAT or whatever you stand J random standardized test. We're stuck with this because the the hard truth, the incontrovertible truth, supposedly, is that it correlates highly with success in college. And what does that mean? Well, it means according according to the people who shrug their shoulders about the necessity of this stuff. And of course, at this point now, it's trickled down all the way into elementary school. And, you know, to some extent, stuff like Common Core or whatever. It's just, it's it's become just an accepted article that we have to live with these tests because of that correlation. Well, what is that correlation? Well, I mean, I think we're talking about people. I mean, I know at least at new college and I have to imagine other places, a only slightly non-obvious metric is did you successfully finish in four years, which has more to it than you would think at first blush, meaning you didn't drop out because dropouts really hurt our retention or our, um, whatever that term is, retention rate. Uh, I forget what the term is. Um, but also, we don't want you for six years. We got, you know, let's go, mock Chanel. Like, you know, get through here. And and so I I, I think, and I, I, I could be wrong here, but I think that is how we got to the shoulder shrugging stage of, well, you come up with something better for showing success. Well, correlation is not causation. This is another one of those, like, 
the rise of terrorism went up almost exactly with Internet Explorer or something. You know, one of those insane charts you can see on those hilarious websites. Because, as you said, John, like, if you, it becomes, you know, you think about those poll tests or you think about, like, in, um, like, in Hidden Figures where, like, if you want to vote, you've got to be able to recite the preamble to the Constitution without making any errors or tell me how many jelly beans, all those kinds of, like, things they would do to black people to make it difficult for them to vote. And so that, like speeding tickets, that's a thing, well, we just don't do this to white people. Black people do this because we need to make sure that they're literate. And that's that's why we have to do that. And with this stuff, I think the, the correlation goes way beyond that. It goes to, like, as you just said, like, yeah, can you afford the course to get a good SAT score? But it's also that, like, you've, at least at the point you're in high school, let's be honest, the time that a lot of people end up getting divorced when their kids leave for college. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you've had a support network. Whether you realized it or not, whether you liked it or not, you're very much living the white lotus lifestyle, regardless of how snarky you are. And how much do we control? My question is, how do we control for that in all of this? Well, we don't have a better system. Got to do the SAT. Do do we control for that? Now, now, so now, what do you say? See, somebody like the guy who like let me into new college understood that I was a little bit, I was a five percenter. I forget, I don't know if there's an actual term for this, but the like, we're taking a gamble on this kid because he doesn't have the numbers in any way to get into this school, but we're going to take a shot. And there's a certain percentage of those. So, but do we really want that to be on the admissions departments across America to control for that? You know, to create, as we say, the well-rounded class, not the well-rounded student. I'm blathering on, but like, just, there's so much that feels rotten to me about this testing. And something that's only really landed on me in, let's say, the last eight or so years is like the incredible amount of stress that this kind of stuff puts on kids for what feels to me like a fairly unknown amount of benefit. Yeah, they, uh, so I've been doing, you know, the, my son took standardized tests. We've done a couple of college tours now. One of the schools he's applying to had a big spiel. We actually got to go to an in-person tour, which is rare because most schools still aren't giving them. Mm-hmm. Um, had a had a big spiel about like here's how we do things a little bit differently here right oh so, small plates have you, have you dined with have you dined with us before <laughs> it was very much like that but for for both the, how they structure the school but also how they structure the admission process and obviously you know I'm sure this has been going on for years and years but this my kid is just now applying to colleges so it's the first time hearing of it and the last time I worried about colleges was when I applied which was a very long time ago um, anyway so this school this is WPI Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Uh, and their admissions are now test blind, as in they do not look at or know your SAT or ACT scores at all. Hmm. So that's one way to control for <laughs> a test that you think may not be representative of what you're looking for in your student body is. Wait, run that run that by me again. So they, they look at you before they look at your the things that will actually get you in before they look at any numbers. They're what looking at an essay. What are they looking at? Worcester Polytechnic Institute, this is from March 15th, 2021, announced today that it will no longer consider SAT or ACT scores in its admission process, period. Hmm. That doesn't mean they won't look at them in the beginning or whatever. They will just, they don't care hmm. what you got on the SAT or ACTs because hmm. that's not. Do you believe how, that? And this is an, an yeah, I do. Hmm. And and I think this is I think it's the natural consequence of like, like you just said of like well it's all we've got and like when I was a kid it was like the thing right and then it's been decades yeah. of pushback against that being the thing into the WPI saying not only is it not the thing it's not even a thing 
and they, you know, they, they gave this whole spiel how it took them years to get up to this. As you can imagine, it's not like that you make this decision one day. Like it takes schools, you know, years to convince themselves and each other that this is um, a reasonable thing to do. I feel like UC might have done something similar recently. I feel like I saw a headline about UC, the University of California um, system doing something similar, but I could be wrong. I'll find yeah, out. So this is, this is, you know, March 15th, 2021 is this announcement. They started mm-hmm. this thing in 2007. So that's how long it took them to get to a test blind, a complete des- test blind admissions process, which on the one hand, I think is amazing and is a condemnation of standardized testing. But on the other hand, my son did really well on his standardized tests. And now I feel like, oh, so it's just his transcripts. And and as the person said, high school transcripts in the world today are highly varied, setting aside COVID, which, of course, throws a huge monkey wrench into everyone's high school transcript who's going yeah. to college right now. But yeah. for even setting that aside, high schools are highly variable in the United States, let's say. There is, you know, like... The way they do grades, whether they do grades at all, what range the grades are, whether or not they count all the years, like it's just, it's all over the place. So the admissions process is, and again, this is an engineering, this is an engineering school. This is not a touchy-feely liberal arts, whatever, like this is hardcore STEM top to bottom, like the most techie school you can imagine, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're doing this, it shows that just the, the college landscape has really changed. And it reminded me of something. I think I saw this around the same time that that just stuck in my mind. Um, You've heard the stories, I'm sure, on some turns out podcast about, oh, the symphony orchestra has too many men in it and not enough women uh, in like the first chair of their orchestra. So they started doing blind auditions where the person would play an instrument behind a screen Mm -hmm. uh, and they wouldn't say anything. And then the judges would have to listen and then they would choose. And suddenly uh, that helped get more women into the orchestra. So I heard a story, I think it was the Boston Symphony, that they they started doing this because it was the trend whenever it was, you know, many years back of like, we're going to do blind auditions, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, know you you come, you, you sit behind the screen, you play your piece, we judge it, we write down our scores, and then at the end, like, we never see you and you never speak, right? Right. Otherwise, they'd be able to tell how shrill your voice is. Right, exactly. They did this, and after like the first year or two, it wasn't increasing the percentage of women in the in the orchestra. And they couldn't figure it out. Like, well, like everyone else who did this really increased the, you know, the percentage of women. Maybe we were just never biased before. Maybe we just have better men than women. Like all these sorts of things you can imagine telling yourself, like, see, we did this blind thing and it didn't make any difference. Our percentages are exactly the same. And here's here's the uh, turns out podcasting. Do you, do you know it before I'm going to say it? No. It was the shoes. They still have to oh. walk out from the side of the stage to sit down. Uh, and women's oh high heels make a God. different noise clacking on the wooden unconscious, floor of the stage. Unconscious shoe bias. That's hilarious. So they switched to barefoot, and lo and behold, women, the percentage of women started to go up, up, up. Hmm. That's a good story. <laughs> brutal. That's brutal. Um, and so yeah. that's why, like, oh, how do we control for the bias on the SAT? I'm not sure if the WPI thing is the solution, but it is a certainly, like, you know, uh, what, King Solomon? Uh, no, yeah. cutting the Gordian knot, not cutting the baby in half. Wrong one. Oh, yeah. Gordian knot, not baby. You're talking about Alexander. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Alexander uh, cutting mm-hmm. the Gordian knot, right? I don't know. That's, that's probably not on time. the SAT, but I, I would have known that one. Um, um, this is um, May 23rd, 2021. Um, headline UC agrees to no longer consider SAT, SAT scores, and admissions. And I'm, I'm avoiding saying this because it sounds like I'm trying to sound fancy and I'm really not, but there's sort of a kind of a tiered system in California universities and 
you know, there's a reason you've heard of lots of, you've heard of UC Berkeley, you've heard of UCLA, you've heard of like, you know, there's also, there's other kinds of state college systems, but UC is like the fancy one, right? Um, a 2019 lawsuit alleging that the University of California's, quote, test optional admissions policies violated civil rights statutes, DLED, was settled in favor of the plaintiffs on May 14th, 2021. The ruling bars UC campuses from considering SAT or ACT scores in their admissions received between fall 2021 and spring 2025. I just feel like if you talked, I, again, I'm speculating, I'm projecting. I feel like if you talk to folks in the admissions office, maybe even arguably at sort of the lower, well, really at any level, that I wonder if they feel like they're fighting with one hand tied behind their back without having the test scores. I mean, I don't think so because- the, 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 that, would, that is essentially the, the Oxfords or the high heels of this arrangement. Even when I was applying, when I when I went on, because I went on many more college tours, and you talk to the people who do the admissions, and they took such great pains to emphasize that despite what you, you know, they would say to us in whatever, the early, the, the late, late 80s, early 90s, despite what you may have heard um, from everyone in your entire life growing up, we don't just look at your uh, SAT score and then just sort you and pick the top ones. That's not how we do it here. And we don't even just look at your GPA. We look at the whole student. Like, this was the pitch. And I, when I was getting pitched this, I basically didn't believe it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what you say. But, you know, everyone else it's has the told same me thing, this other same kind of thing you would say about people playing a scratch-off lottery ticket. Because, I mean, if you said to everybody, well, yeah, I can tell you right now, your SATs would never get you in here. Nobody's going to apply. And they need a pile. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the, the pitch for my son's, you know, college that he's applying to, they give the same exact pitch. But now somehow I believe it more, especially if they're going test blind. And I don't think I I think in both instances, that's how they were trying to do admissions was by like, I think people at good schools, schools trying to burnish their reputation. I think like the the way they the way they're able to become better schools to sort of start climbing that ladder is to accept the Merlins, essentially, like. That you can't, if you just go based on scores, you're going to get a very, you're going to get a very homogenous group of students, right? Who are good in, in a one particular way. And that's not a good way to, you know, that's, it's not a good way to get the best out of people because you get all, you get this giant pile. But if you sort based on this very strict criteria, you're leaving behind lots of gems, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to have a, a, it's more of an art than a science. You're excluding the chance that you're going to get a gem that did, to why I'm really mixing metaphors here, but you're always talking about the baby sorting box. Like if what you're what you're doing really is you're you're minimizing the chance that you're going to get somebody who does make it a better rounded class. And not not, yeah, not me like, here. There's, but. there's a there's a way a human going through that pile of submissions can identify what's clear to them from the years of experience working in admissions is amazing student. And if they had to then justify it by saying, oh, like if, this, if there was like cutoffs or thresholds or numbers or any kind of sorting based on test scores or GPAs, now they're placed with like, look, my instincts as an admissions person tells me this is a great person based on their essay, based on, you know, maybe their interviews or whatever, whatever they're based on, like sort of my, my feeling, my experience as a human being is we should accept this person. Well, but the numbers say you got to check boxes X, Y, and Z, and they're below this threshold, and we already picked our 5% of Merlins or whatever, and so they can't come in. And that's a bad system, because if you have people that you trust to find the best students to make the best rounded class, let those people do their job however 
they see fit and the the, right. the sort otherwise of you could just run it through run it through your uh univax right yeah, just run it through a scantron then like yeah if you've got no i'm saying if you yeah if you've got these people who you're paying money to to work there like it, that see again i just don't i don't know much any knowledge i've had i have of this is over 30 years old at this point and i realize i sound like a sourpuss but i don't know it just there's 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 just so much stuff that a lot of this, it took too long to wake up to how screwed up the system was, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. Do you remember? I don't know what you I can't say what your childhood was like, but when I was a kid, IQ was held up as this very mysterious and uncontroversial thing. That if you could mm-hmm. say, if you have, you took a test and that test says that your IQ is 141 and therefore you are a genius, right? And I think over time that got chipped away at, and you know, you talk about the sort of cultural valences. I think it might, isn't it possible that it's even worse with regard to IQ? The stakes are lower. Oh yeah, no, IQ is even worse. Yeah, I mean, from a cultural sort of, um, cultural standpoint, yeah. um, it's purported to be pretty bad. But like, but, but, but the point stands that when I was coming up, and I, I've told this story before about how I was incredibly envious of the Japanese boy who had the highest IQ in the world. It was like 210 or something. I don't know. I'd never been tested for IQ, but it had been, I was tested for IQ, but they wouldn't tell me, tell us the score. But there was a little bit of like wink, wink stuff, which kind of surprises me because I think I, I would be surprised if I had a high IQ given the way my brain works. But that was held up as being this pretty intro, in contra- I mean, John, it's literally the word genius. Like what, what more of a word could there be than like, you've taken a test that we can prove that you're a genius. And it took decades f- for people to even soften their opinion. There's still people out there joining Mensa, I guess, to meet girls. I don't know. And again, I might, I might sound like a sourpuss here, but that kind of stuff, it's just another form of knighthood in some ways. It's just yet another one of these like ribbons that we lavish on people who had every reason in the world to succeed. And now I really do sound like a sorry post, but I just feel bad about that. Maybe it's partly having a, a, you know, a a female at birth daughter is just, you see, like, there's just so much stuff still, still, there's so much stuff where girls are treated differently, even in like a nominally supportive environment. There's just, there's still, and I guess maybe there's ways that everybody's affected, but I feel it most keenly for obvious reasons in that way. It's just once you start opening your heart to the amount of actual injustice in these things, to kind of to 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 kind of mingle two different bottles of wine, the casual injustices title of of life, right? We know all know about casual racism. We know about microaggressions, but casual injustice too is there's just all of these little things that just nick away at people. And and everybody who's not getting nicked by it or not getting nicked quite so harshly about it, it's odd how often they tend to think that it's a pretty solid system. And why don't you just get with the program and get some fresh bootstraps? It bugs the hell out of me. I feel like that's the, you gave knighthood as an example. And I feel like uh, culturally the the example that comes to mind for me that we're kind of steeped in is the, the like the period piece that's about uh, British uh, professors at universities in like the, the 30s or 40s, right? So this is this is a group of people who are all obviously very smart, 
right? like Oxford Dons. Like, like, yeah, they're all like yeah. whiskery, uh, whiskery white men. And of course, women can't be professors because how could a woman be a professor? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on. Um, Why did you and, even say you that? Know, That's so weird. Why would you and, say that? And no non-white people and so on and so forth. And it's not to say that those professors weren't smart because they certainly were. But you'd look around and you'd say, well, this is the natural order of things. If, if women wanted to be in this system, they would be succeeding at the yeah. same level and of men. It, the, the bottom line is that we're just the smartest ones here. And it's a self-selecting meritocracy. And here we are. And we're the yeah, smart show, ones. Show me the lie. The show ones. me the lie. Show me all the right. women that and, are here and, because they're and, so good. And, and unlike the knighthood, it's not like, oh, some watery tart threw a sword at you. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a real thing. We are actually about smart. Some kind of and they were. Bent. They were actually smart. <laughs> but like you, you just don't see like the person doing laundry who's just as smart. <laughs> like oh yeah they're not they don't know all this math it's like yeah because they didn't go to school well then you know like it's it just and and so that's the obviously the character the comic book example of like we look back at that and say like, oh how awful how how barbaric but all of that exists today in much more subtle forms that are as invisible to us now as that was to people back then right that's the you know that's why of history right like it, you look at it it's like oh, how backwards and barbaric these people were but if you were to talk to one of them, they would they would it would be invisible, uh, completely invisible to them. They would say, this is just the way things are. What are you even talking about? And they would be able to look backwards in their history and say, you know, we're not like these people. Uh, you know, we are the enlightened ones. Right. And it's, you know, same as it always was. Well, and because it's never I mean, and uh, uh, I'm not trying to beat the privilege thing to death, but I, I do think. I think people use privilege in a kind of a silly way sometimes when there's a really good way to use privilege. And to like understand privilege, you have to understand that it is necessarily pretty much unexamined. It's the, as somebody once said, I forget who, it might have been um, uh, Fran uh, Leibowitz, but somebody once, no, I forget who, but somebody said George W. Bush uh, was born on third and thinks he hit a triple. And that's kind of what we're talking about here in some ways, except in here we're talking because you got different junk from these other people. And it's, I think it's, it's for privilege. The privilege has had the biggest thinking about privilege has had the biggest impact on me uh, in thinking about the, yeah, like you, you really can't see it until you start looking for it. And we've never been encouraged to look for it. And I'm, I hear, I'm not even talking about like huge issues of, of, of race and class. I'm talking about just like, the most basic, like like I said, speeding tickets, traffic stops, all the kinds of places that, you know, somebody, uh, uh, a black person said uh, not that long ago that like, if you really want to understand this, ask yourself how many points in the history of the last 2000 years you could show up to and not like, I think something along, like not feel immediately like your life was in danger. And I'm pretty close to being in the group that could I guess depending on you know what continent at what time, but you know what I mean. And you don't you don't think about that because you never have to think about that. And in that case, the Oxford Dons, I bet they believed in their heart of hearts that it really was a meritocracy. I worked hard for everything I've got. If you want what I've got, go. You know, are you employed, sir? <laughs> right? A very kind of Jeffrey Lebowski kind of thing. That like, if you want to, if you, if you want to have what I have, you can have it. You just haven't worked as hard as I have. And it's. Until, it, it, just to repeat myself, and I, I know privilege is a fraught word and, and it's, it's overused and a lot of people don't like it, but like, you come up, we'll, we can come up with a better word maybe for just this discussion, maybe. But what it comes down to is like, if you've had certain advantages that you're not aware of as advantages other people don't have, you, it's going to be difficult for you to begin a practice of making a practice of noticing 
those things rather than gliding right past them because that's how you spent your whole life. And I'm not trying to sound like an SJW or something here, but like you spent your whole life like having cabs stop for you where they don't stop for other people. Of like, you know, getting out of a parking ticket where other people don't or like whatever that is. And, you know, it's, we can never, when we're in the midst of whatever system we're in now, it doesn't make it any easier. It only is over time that we can go, wow, Christopher Columbus wasn't so great. I mean, you know, John, and let me ask you this, because I think we talked about this, but in your, not just your lifetime, in the lifetime of your career, how have you seen this change with, for example, uh, however you want to put it, hiring, recruiting, getting a more diverse and less white male phalanx of people doing the technology? Have you, do, have you seen that difference in, in the lifetime of your career? Different approaches? I mean, the answer to that is yes, but the change has been incredibly slow. But you're no longer saying we only post this ad in the cigar room at Yale. No, no, you <laughs> right, know what I mean? Though, like, like whenever yeah. you're, we're talking about these things, when, well, I thought that's what it turns out was going to be with the musicians was like, oh, we're only um, advertising in these magazines that we didn't realize demographically overserve a certain group, in this case, men. Yeah. No, like, so, the, so there's my own personal journey of me being oblivious to this for most of my life. Um, and then once I became aware of it, it took longer for the workplace to become aware of it. And then once the workplace is aware of it, it is in an ongoing process, depending on where you work, of trying to get the workplace to do literally anything about it and then assessing the anything that they're doing to see, is it, you know, kind of like the the quote unquote blind uh, test that was doing nothing, even though they thought they were trying to do a thing like are you actually getting results? Because if you have all these programs and all these trainings and change your hiring process, but right, in but the if end, it's still six hiring, white guys deciding how to make right, it better, right? right. Like, let's reexamine. Like, so, like it's not because it's not so easy. Like the bottom line is, it's not so easy. Like even once you're aware of it, and even if you're honestly trying to do uh, yeah. better at it, you, like you said, it's it is by by nature invisible to you. It's, um, it's and really free like of the, cost or change. Yeah, and the the flip side of that is like you mentioned, you know, like uh, privilege being invisible, like. Uh, it's it's the opposite is not true. The injustices uh, visited upon you are very visible to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I remember thinking when I got my first speeding ticket, I could see the injustice because I was at the time a pimple-faced teenage boy. And of course, the pimple-faced teenage boy is going to get a ticket to teach him a lesson about safe driving. Do you believe the injustice? The only re- If I were an older gray-haired man, I wouldn't have gotten this ticket because I wasn't going that fast and the road was empty and you know so on and so forth, right? Um, so rather than seeing my privilege of like, I never for once feared for my life and or was shot or made to get out of the car. Instead, I see, oh, I only got this ticket because I'm a teenager and this, the, the police are biased against teenagers. Right. It's so easy to see the injustice and not not to see the giant mountain of privilege that's keeping you alive. Right. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing with these with the industry and hiring and everything. Everyone can see the injustice that happens to them but can't see the mountain, you know, their entire institution that they work within is built on this mountain of faulty assumptions. Right. When when, when this happens to other people, it's unfortunate, but when it happens to me, it's a tragedy. Yeah. And so, you know, so change is hard. And I, you know, the the company I work for now is, is, I think, very, very good about this and that all, all the intentions are good. And they do, like, if you have kind of an engineering driven organization, you do try to be results oriented and say, like, we're not just doing this for clapping, as they say. We actually want to see a change 
in the people we hire. Like that's the goal. So let's measure ourselves against that goal and yada yada. If you hire different people, you start making you start making different things. Yeah, and and it's and it's a struggle because it's you know it's it's hard to do this well, and you know the iteration process is long. Um, and just to circle this back to WPI, they do the same thing. Being a techie school, you may be wondering like, okay, they have these people, they hire them to you know the admissions group to pick good students, and we're supposed to be trusting them to know what a good student is. But how do we measure their success? How do we tell whether our admissions department is doing a good job? Mm-hmm. Right, because we're not going to just take their word for it. They're like, we're real happy with the class we got. It's like, what? How do you figure out? If you're doing, you know, part of it is, like you said, the retention rate. Are the people we're letting into our school, are they finishing? Are, you know, are they are they graduating? Are they getting good grades? Like, that's one way to measure it. But the other one they have that they tout at WPI is their outcomes and salary report, where they basically say, here are all the people hmm. who graduated WPI, and here are their salaries and the companies they went to work for, which is a very sort of engineering, techie kind of wow. way. So like, bottom line, let's get right down to it and say, what you care about is if I go to this school, am I going to get a job? And how much is it going to pay? And where am I going to work? And so they gather all that information for each graduating class and you can look at it. And that is definitely one way, if you're an engineering school and you want to say, how good are we at figuring out the people to accept, to do well in the school, graduate, get good grades, and then get a good job after college? Because as we've discussed in the past shows, that is essentially the function of college these days, especially mm-hmm. sort of you know engineering and STEM type fields is you, unless you're going to be an academic and just be in college for the rest of your life and as a professor or whatever, you're going to go use your skills in the workplace and hopefully get a good job. And so they measure that. Um, and, you know, this obviously WPI, although I don't think I would ever choose to go there for reasons unrelated to most of this stuff. Uh, I think they are a prototypical engineering school because everything they're doing is in an engineering mindset. It's not to say that their system is flawless. And if you look at their admissions, like they're 60% men, 40% women, which is good for an engineering school, but bad mm-hmm. for a school overall. But it's way better than it was when I went to school, I can tell you that. For some reason, um, I don't know why. This reminds me a little bit of uh, the concept of harm reduction. And um, I know it's not directly related, but I guess, uh, so what, what in harm reduction, let's take a, a very... Um, a controversial but very common example of harm reduction is that we're going to provide places where people can do needle drugs that's safe. And for all kinds of reasons, and I, I might be, I think I'm putting that correctly. I think that's a thing places do. That's something you try to provide a safe place. You could think of harm reduction. So harm reduction is a way of saying like, well, I'm trying to avoid spoiling the ending of this, but like harm reduction is a way of saying, well, these, if we want to save lives or if we want to, if we want to have less harm, right, we have to think about this differently. And we have to, I think implicit in that is we have to put aside some of our old ideas about what is and isn't okay. Um, and so it, the thing is that that very quickly starts to reveal how calcified a lot of us are and our feelings about things. And I, I'm not saying this to, to sound nasty or something, but like, there's just, I could very much see somebody, let's say even a cop saying, wait a minute. So you're telling me like we go out there and we bust our hump and, you know, bring in these people for these schedule one drugs. And then like, you're trying to give them a, a nursery room where they can go and shoot up all day. And it's like, well, it depends on what your goal here is. If your goal is to increase the number of arrests you've got on a sheet, that's one thing. But over here, what if, what if we're uh, working on a slightly different level and saying, we want fewer people to have overdoses. We want to reduce hospital visits. We want to reduce 
all of the various things that are wound up in this one part of the broken system being serviced by this other part of the broken system. And we can't fix everything. We don't have a magic wand. But like if we give some, if we make that happen, I, I think a similar thing, I don't know if it's strictly harm reduction, but the other one is the, at this point, seemingly very well understood idea, it costs less money and has more benefit to house homeless people um, rather than to deal with them being homeless. Like <laughs> put them in a hotel, like like we were in, or and give them some money. And like, believe it or not, it turns out in a lot of instances, not everyone, that's actually, that's for all kinds of, before you even get to the quality of life stuff for everybody in the community. I mean, people in San Francisco driving down Division Street under 101 is like really depressing. It's just tense and tense and tense and tense. And that's people who are lucky enough to have a tent, uh, fortunate enough, privileged enough to have a tent. I guess what I'm saying though is like, the reason I, th I think I see a commonality, some Venn diagram with college admissions is that it really depends on what your metric for success is or not even for success, but like, how are you going to measure this? How are you going to, how are you going to determine what we're here for? Because like, there's a cynical side of me. I haven't been, haven't said this, but like, there's a cynical side of me that in the, in the age of social media, remember what I said about like, we got to make sure we got a stack. We want people to keep paying however much that is to get their application in. The more applications we get, the more it benefits us in every way, because it increases our if we get more admissions than we if we get more applications than we can let in, if that number changes, that improves our desirability. That makes us look better. We get ranked better. But there's also the part of me that thinks like the whole thing of like you have to have good optics about your school being cool and people showing the excitement of people being accepted to Stanford or whatever. And like I I would get that as a marketing strategy. But like, what if? So, but like, if we haven't clearly identified what our metric for success is or what we're trying to accomplish, a mission, if you like, like if we don't have an honest, we need an honest view of what we're trying to do here at a very high level and then at increasingly lower levels down to departments and down to classes or whatever. It's just that like when, if you ask people to think about harm reduction or you ask people to think about what values we put money behind, um, I think that's where you run up against big institutions and Oxford Dons is because without ever intending to do so, you're challenging some of the, if you like, sacred cows of an institution, right? And so I think people probably generally, maybe understandably, like don't want to be told that this is the kind of metric that should change. Like I'm, I'm a cop and I despise the idea of somebody doing illegal drugs and I can't arrest them. Or like I've developed this very mature Rolodex and I have this really good relationship with the development department. I know what alums buy what bricks for what buildings. You know, all of those systems are based on some success in the past that is absolutely not guaranteed in the future. But also that like if you you take something, nobody's having a great day every day. Every job is hard. Now you're going to make my job harder by saying I can't use the one method that I know like actually works. Busting punks. And, and reading SAT scores. I don't know. I just think that that's, to me, it's interesting to tease out where there may be unintentional pushback on an institutional basis because of the degree to which it forces you to interrogate why things have always been done this way and whether it is necessarily in the same way that the royal family was made royalty by God. Like what's, what's your, uh, you know, like as Aristotle would say, what's your first mover? Like what's your thing? that makes this a, uh, an institution that you're proud of? And what are you willing to change 
to reduce harm or to improve diversity or whatever. Because I think that's where the conversations get really awkward. That's why it takes from 2007 to 2021 to go test blind at WPI. Because even if you're not even in the admissions department, say you're just, you work at the school or a professor at the school or a president of the school or whatever, you have a, a vested stake in the orthodoxy, like you said, of that. But we need those test scores because that's how school works. And I don't want you just accepting any old person with a terrible SAT score. I would never want that person in our school. They're going to do poorly. They're going to drag everybody down. Everything's going to be... And, you know, and so even suddenly people who had no interest in admissions before, when you change some what well, they thought it was the bedrock foundation of the entire like system that they're in, you know, higher education. One of the reasons we've succeeded, one of the key reasons mm -hmm, we've succeeded mm -hmm. is because we've stuck to the old ways. Right. And so then you need to do all these experiments and go test optional and measure the results and compare them in years and years, 2007, 2021. Right. So that's Jeez. a long road. And we'll see. Maybe they'll still revert because, you know, the orthodoxy usually just dies with the people who believe in it. It's not like you can convince anybody of anything. So, yeah, you hope they age out. Um, how much White, White Lotus have you watched? I believe I, I, I've seen some not Lotus. to I'm trying not to cheat by seeing how many episodes there are, but I think I'm like. Five in? Six in? I don't know how many there are, though. But, um, so, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I really like it. I didn't think I'd like it, and I do. Um, but, you know, it's just, a, just a rogue, obviously a rogues gallery of privilege, but, like, in, in particular, uh, the cute girl, uh, with the new husband, the guy from the office. Like, that mm -hmm. guy is, like, it's so like the thing is he is the person on that show that I am most like and I hate it because but you just see the way that no he way. is you're 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 the guy with the swollen balls for sure the oh Steve's on yeah oh wow it's you huh it's you you don't think I could be the the concierge uh no maybe hmm. Lonnie <laughs> Uh, anyway, that guy's a, that guy's a poster child for what we're talking about here. Like the way that the way that he's like just such a like a, a such a little little stinker, and like is trying to mm -hmm. like his his constant frustration with not getting what he thought he wanted is just that actor does such a good job of like cause it's easy is an easy way to play that role so yeah. that everyone wants to punch you, but he yeah. manages to do it in kind of like an adorable man-child way that's all the same. Like, he, he needs to be punched, to be clear. Or like, almost like, everything that but, he's saying, especially with, what's the guy's name? The guy from Looking. But you know who I mean, the the concierge guy. But almost everything, he every conversation for a while, anyway, that he has with that guy is kind of beautifully nuanced. We're mm -hmm. implicit in almost everything he says to him is, hey, look, I don't want to be a d here, but... Like, mm -hmm. he thinks like, he's like being he, cool. There was, there was that line in the early episode where I said, I was trying not to be an a-hole, and his, and his wife says, but you failed. <laughs> Do you remember that one? <laughs> so good. I love her. Just go pay go pay attention to her. She's so nice. But listen, guys, don't don't be that guy. Let's let's all let's all try not to be that guy. Hmm. Is there anything? Dude, would you would it be helpful, your son, if I wrote a letter or something? It's, you know, on the inbox zero guy. Cordially, Merlin Mann, inbox zero guy. It might. 